Welcome to the Frankly Speaking podcast, Friends of Europe's weekly broadcast on the topics of European and world affairs. Coming up this week. What do you think, particularly, you know, looking at the TTX this year, we can sort of draw as a lesson about the, 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 the critical societal uh, resilience? If we're going to build a society that is, is resilient in the digital modern world, we need to think about the parts that are outside as well. We need to be proactive when it regards the security for our digital societies in the future. Today, we are reactive. We are looking at future trends that are creating new ungoverned and undergoverned spaces. That would be the XR, extended reality metaverse and space. And so also many of the technologies that we're relying on to enable our new green economy also present risks to democracy, the rule of law and the social order if they're not governed effectively. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to this uh, special podcast of Friends of Europe devoted to the theme of resilience. Uh, I'm Jamie Shea, Senior Fellow at Friends of Europe, and it will be my pleasure uh, to moderate uh, the discussion. Well, resilience has become something of a buzzword uh, around Brussels in recent years. It now appears more frequently in NATO and EU communiques. And of course, we've had lots of tests to the system uh, here in Europe over the last uh, decade or so. Now, uh, we at uh, Friends of Europe have been conducting a series of exercises, uh, tabletop exercises in recent years to look at the state of Europe's resilience and to uh, discuss uh, the outcome uh, of the most recent tabletop exercise and where we go forward on resilience. I'm delighted today to welcome uh, two special guests. Well, the first is not really a guest because like me, he's also a senior fellow at Friends of Europe, Chris Kremidis. Uh, Chris is our exercise designer. Uh, he is our resilience expert and he's been uh, conducting resilience exercises for the European Union and for a number of, of different uh, governments. Uh, so he is really the person to consult on this. And I'm also delighted to welcome Hannah Lindenstahl, who is the founder and CEO of uh, Earhart, uh, a, a business protection agency. Hannah has been one of the most uh, committed participants in our TTXs uh, and one of the most insightful participants as well. So Hannah, thank you very much and a warm welcome. So Chris, to kick off with you, give us a sense of what you've tried to accomplish with these tabletop resilience exercise, uh, exercises, why you designed a particular scenario for this year's exercise, and what how you see the sort of challenges evolving from one year uh, to the next. Thank you, Jamie, and good morning, Hannah. Um, you know, we started these tabletop exercises back in 2019 at Friends of Europe uh, because we saw a gap. We, we saw a gap in the public and private sector aspects. So we you know, at the hybrid COE, where it had been previously, we'd really worked on, on building the connective tissue between the EU and NATO, and that had been going well. But there was a missing link because, the, you know, since um, the private sector are the first targets of, a, of hybrid attacks, and they're so critical to resilience, we said we need to plug that gap. So we pioneered the concept of EU, NATO, private sector, civil society tabletop exercises. We've been doing them since 2019. Our whole aim was to build, you know, identify the solutions, identify a, a share common perspective on the problems and challenges, and then start to build some of the connective tissue, sort of that human interoperability, so that we can address these challenges. And what we saw with the with the beginning of the uh, Russian invasion of Ukraine was a lot of those relationships and solutions and ideas were being put into practice. I mean, information first responders, 
uh, a lot of the public-private civil society relationships, the role of the private sector in Ukraine, uh, and the defense of Ukraine has been very you know, big. And I also, we're witnessing people who had come together at our tabletop now working together to support Ukraine. And so it was remarkable to see, like when you could see the impact of an exercise you've designed and run, it's, it's wonderful. So this year, you know, what we did was uh, in 2022, we set the scenario in the year 2030 you know, the EU and NATO have been focusing on 2030 for a lot of their strategic documents. We said, let's do it there. And we focused on a hybrid campaign against a large part of the European economy and society uh, based on a lot of future challenges, not only based on emerging and disruptive technologies, but the political and social dynamics that they will bring to us. Chris, thanks for introducing us into the world of resilience. Uh, Hannah, uh, as somebody obviously from a business perspective, as a regular participant, uh, what were the sort of for you the key takeaways from this year's TTX? I mean, what did you sort of pick up in terms of, oh, I should be thinking more about this? Uh, or, yes, here's an area where we seem to have made progress over the years. That's good. Uh, here are problems. Uh, Chris was referring to the problems that we continue to, to face. Like, give us a sense of uh, the takeaways that you took away. That's what you do with takeaways. Of course, you take them away uh, from uh, this uh, most recent uh, TTX. Thank you. Good morning, Jamie, and good morning, Chris. Well, there's so many things that I took with me from this exercise. The first thing is that it's very important that we do this type of exercise where we talk about the private and public sector, how we could cooperate in a hybrid crisis. Because I do believe, and I also think that's one of the things we discussed during the exercise, is that the public sector doesn't really know what's private and public in the system. We are talking about connections in, in critical infrastructure, for example, but then we only talk about the electric grid or the water supply. But, but the system is so much larger than that. What is making a society roll forward? So that's one of the big takes uh, that I take with me. And um, the, the other one I think about is digital exclusion or digital segregation. Um, how are we going to handle the fast development of a digital society when we have parts of, of our societies that maybe financially can't be active in the system because we can't afford it or, or your society can't afford it. Uh, maybe the connections is not good enough for being part of a digital society. Maybe I'm not interested to be a part of the digital society or I don't have the capabilities to be a part of it. So I think that's one thing we need to think about because if we're gonna build a society that is, is resilient in the digital modern world, we need to think about the parts that are outside as well. So those two are the big ones. Thanks, Anna. Uh, Chris, uh, you mentioned uh, that you wanted to sort of project uh, us into the future up to 2030, although it's a fairly close future, only eight years away, but it's still the future. Uh, and therefore, what particular things that you think are going to be happening in 2030 did you put into the scenario? but which are, if you like, not quite happening today. Uh, I say this because often when we think of the future, we end up recognizing that in fact it's already here, uh, particularly with technology. But what were those sort of elements where you feel that uh, we are really going to sort of face challenges that we're not particularly aware of uh, today? Well, let me back up for a moment. In the, in the scenario that's set in 2030, we're living in a world of immersive digital technology. So today we live in an interactive world, but in the future uh, we'll be living in an immersive world. And what that means is 
we'll be going uh, into immersive worlds are commonly referred to as extended reality, XR. People know it as the metaverse. And so living inside of this immersive digital world. So think of all the challenges we have with disinformation, with the divisions in society today, with the interactive media, which is very, uh, which, which is, is we're, ch we're challenged enough for that. And how will we be prepared for an, an immersive media environment, an, an immersive digital environment, which is, has been proven to be more addictive, more uh, effective in changing human uh, opinions, ideas, and beliefs. So these are a lot of big challenges. The other one is just a little separate is space. And our, our colleague, Paul Taylor, wrote his uh, space report. You know, I, I advise everyone to download it and read it. But looking at sort of a wild west in space that, you know, we have private actors who now literally own half of the objects in, in, in space in low Earth orbit, and that it's, you know, there's a lack of governance. And I think, if I may jump really quickly to the, the big takeaways, and that is, um, we are looking at future trends that are creating new ungoverned and undergoverned spaces. That would be the XR extended reality metaverse and space. And so also many of the technologies that we're relying on to enable our new green economy also present risks to democracy, the rule of law, and the social order if they're not governed effectively. So the whole idea of this tabletop exercise was to take these policymakers and experts, place them in the future so that they can start to have an informed debate and, and build some of the common public, private, civil society understanding of the choices we'll face, we will be facing. So how, will we recognize those choices we'll be facing or will we pass them by and not realize that we've just made a decision by accepting certain things? So that was the whole idea behind the tabletop this year. Uh, thank Chris, uh, that, that indeed is challenging. I mean, Hannah, from the perspective of somebody who knows the business community very well, uh, private sector industry, the, the sort of challenges that Chris has just outlined, particularly the immersive digital world, the metaverse, uh, are they things that are really, apart from, of course, companies who do like uh, 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 Meta and others that are sort of developing these things, but in business overall, uh, are, are people really sort of focusing on these kind of challenges uh, now? Uh, do you have to sort of really wave the flag in a vigorous way to get their attention? Are they still sort of very much, you know, focused on yesterday's problems like sort of basic cybersecurity? So give us a sense of where you see business at the moment and business priorities in dealing with some of the things that Chris has uh, referred to. Thank you, Jamie. Well, I, it's a bit sad to say, no, we're not looking at the future. Uh, me, me and my gang, we are actually only looking at the future. But when I'm visiting uh, big, large corporations, they are talking about standard cybersecurity problems. And that's because on how we have built the system, you know, the, uh, this, the, the digital development has gone so several years. It's gone pretty slow in the beginning. And we develop company structures that are based on an old idea. I usually compare this when, when the car was, was launched uh, for like 100 years ago. The first car was looking like a horse carriage without a horse. And that's the cybersecurity we are building today. We are building a cybersecurity for a system that's not for the future. And we also have to realize the people that are responsible for decision making when we're talking about cybersecurity, both in the private sector and the political, uh, are mostly digital immigrants. They are not born into the digital society, but they are making the decisions for the digital natives, our kids who are grown up in this system. 
And some of them, they're not even immigrants in the digital world. They are actually tourists. They just visited for the decision and they don't really know what they're talking about. So we have a real lack of knowledge uh, and we need to do a lot. So the red flag is up and we try to talk about this all the time because this is going very fast. The development in the private sector for the private sector goes more and more through the employers, uh, employees, sorry, the employees, uh, because you get the systems and the functions for your personal benefit, but it actually affects the security of your work environment and the whole system. Hannah, thanks. Just a short additional comment from you, if I, if I may. How do you see sort of the state of cooperation between the public and the private sector? There were you know, many complaints in the past about you know, lack of of information sharing, all kinds of regulatory uh, obstacles, you know, companies that didn't want to be transparent because they feared that they could be embarrassed because of, you know, lack of security investments. So are we past those kind of teething troubles? Is it all going a lot better now? Uh, <laughs> a really hard question to answer. Uh, I, we are working on it. Everybody's working on it. I think uh, one thing when we're talking about cooperation between private and public sector is the, the development side. The other one is the protection side. We're not transparent about what type of vulnerabilities and threat we are meeting today and what we are seeing in the future because nobody wants to show any vulnerability. Uh, so that's a, an area we need to work on. Uh, I actually had a debate about this this summer uh, and the security police said it's very important that all private companies report every type of cyber attack. Uh, and, and one of the large corporations in the country rose her hand and, and said, what are we getting back? Well, well you're supporting the society. Uh, and, and I think you need to give something more to the private sector to, to get the transparency we need because they need to take the time to do the reports and they need to take the time to build the strategies and invest all the money that they need to invest to get uh, resilience in their systems that actually in the long run affects the whole society. Thank you. Now we're almost out of time. So I've got uh, just the time and space for one last question. And what you seem to be saying, both of you, is that you know, resilience has moved on uh, over the last decade from simply being one sector, you know, the banking industry or the tech companies uh, you know, that, that are particularly targeted. Um, and it's now become much more a whole of society affair. We need not just resilient businesses or resilient governments but or transport, but resilient societies, particularly, you know, the challenges of COVID, the challenges of climate change. What do you think, particularly, you know, looking at the TTX this year, we can sort of draw as a lesson about the, 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 the critical societal uh, resilience? Uh, uh, I presume in Europe, there are some societies that you know, are better able to do this than others, maybe because of culture, maybe because of education and training. But uh, where are we in terms of having those kind of resilient societies that clearly we seem to need in the future? Uh, Chris, a, a comment from you, and I'll give the last word to Hannah. Thank you, Jamie. I think, uh, you know, in particular, we're, what we're seeing today is how our societies are vulnerable to digital communications in the interactive world of, the, of telephone, of mobile phones, internet, and social media. And I think what we've seen and what we've learned is that how important it is to look into the future. What will the future, what, how, will, how can we prepare society for a future of immersive digital technologies? How can we be proactive and not reactive? I mean, the Digital Service Act is great, but it, it only came out after much damage had been done. So that's one of the things we're seeking to do. And so there are some signs of hope. We've seen 
you know, EU digital diplomacy, they're now setting up an office in San Francisco to interact with the tech industry. Uh, you know, the EU uh, uh, court, uh, there's EU court has expanded the definition of sensitive data. So I think this is a big part of it is protecting uh, protecting the data of, of citizens that, you know, tech industry calls them users, we call them citizens. Uh, and I think that's an important part of it is to educate the public about what is coming, educate politicians about what is coming, have that debate now. Let's not wait until 2030 when the damage is done, have that debate now. And I think one thing that's exciting is that uh, there's a, a group called the Extended Reality Safety Initiative, XRSI, Friends of Europe, we're starting a new partnership with them uh, on, on these issues. And they actually have a, uh, they have a, you know, about 150 experts all over the world that are on the leading edge of this top of the metaverse topic and immersive technologies, uh, immersive technologies topic across society. And they have something called the XRSI privacy framework. So literally they have in a box, what a company what a government, what the EU or anyone can sort of take on so that they know what questions to ask and are there, are there laws and policies ready for the immersive age? So I think this is exciting, uh, exciting times. And I think it's exciting times for friends of Europe. We'll actually be having some of these discussions at our uh, Peace, Security and Defense Summit in November. Uh, so exciting times get, uh, ahead for on this topic. And I'm very happy that we at Friends of Europe will be involved with this partnership. Thank you, Chris, and thanks also for uh, giving a useful plug for our upcoming conference. Always useful to use these podcasts to, to do that. Um, and uh, so, Hannah, a final word from you. Do you agree with uh, what Chris said, or do you did, did he miss anything that you would like to add? Thank you, Jamie. You, you know, I totally agree with Chris. I give you the really short answer. We need to be proactive when it regards the security for our digital societies in the future. Today, we are reactive. So that's my final <laughs> final comment. Well, it's a very good comment to end on, Hannah. Thanks very much. I mean, my takeaways is we need to educate and prepare our citizens and politicians for obviously a very challenging uh, future. Uh, resilient societies mean resilient citizens, first and foremost. Uh, learn the lessons from crises and how we can apply them, not just to the next crises of a similar nature, but crises of a different nature. Um, I like the idea of building good relationships uh, between different sectors, particularly the private sector, the public sector. Uh, we need good uh, regulation as well. Uh, and uh, we need, of course, to train and exercise because that's the best way of preparing. And so we will have future TTX uh, tabletop exercises. Uh, by the way, just uh, in thanking Chris and Hannah most warmly uh, for participating today. Also, uh, just to advertise the fact that uh, we did at Friends of Europe produce a comprehensive report uh, on the, this year's exercise, which contains much more uh, information that we were able to bring you, of course, in today's uh, short podcast. So if you're please interested in this topic, uh, please, uh, from the Friends of Europe website, uh, download the report, uh, and I think you will be well served. But from a still warm and dry Brussels, goodbye for now. That's it for this Frankly Speaking podcast. Consider subscribing to our newsletter or following us on Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, or Facebook. And don't forget to tune in again this time next week. <laughs>